Hello, hello. Can anybody hear me? Yes, hello. Hey, Kevin. Hey, Alejandro, how are you? I'm well. Really good to see you this morning. Thank you for your time. Uh, I'm going to bug you. Thanks for asking me. I am really excited to bug you for a couple of minutes, ask you a few questions, going back uh, as far as I can, if that's okay. Yeah, sure. Thank you. Thank you for asking me. Yeah. So where where are you from? Can I start there with the simplest of questions? Yeah, I grew up in uh, Revere, Massachusetts, just a little north of Boston, in, in the shadow of the Boston skyline, uh, <laughs> uh, just a couple of subway stops from the city. So um, I lived there for uh, a good part of my life. My mom actually lived there till she was 96 before she passed away. So oh. uh, I've crept my way up the North Shore from there over the years. And uh, I live about uh, a half hour from there now. Oh, okay. Okay, wonderful. And I have to say, I read your poem that you had as the introductory poem on your website. And I have to say, this is this is just a lovely piece of writing as an ode to working class people. And I was curious of how you were able to capture this climate, this this sort of background that you come from. Can you elaborate a little bit on that and how that poem came to be? in relation to the place where you grew up? Well, I, I had a lot of, uh, I had a few different jobs on that strip of Revere Beach where I grew up. So um, I guess to write that poem, you have to get behind the stick for uh, so many years and <laughs> serve the public or be a fry cook or a bartender and all those things, right? So um, I, I felt like I was pretty grounded in that experience, having done it for a long time. And uh, having known a lot of people who have done it or are still doing it, right? So, um, you know, it's kind of right what you know, I think, really. And I, I, I felt like I was in my wheelhouse mm. with that poem and that I, I kind of knew that experience well enough to take a stab at it. Yeah. Do you feel comfortable in that in that environment like you have to go back to it to to mine some things or is that something that that is just like oh you know i'm just gonna look look back a little bit on those times or or do you feel like it's less about expressing what came before and more about exploring different genres and different things now well you know i I think it's always a bit of an exploration right you're not quite sure where you're gonna get to when you when you start a poem or a story or anything. And, uh, but, you know, I, uh, I write a lot of pretty narrative poetry and a lot of it is about me, <laughs> you know, <laughs> or people I've known or my experience. And, uh, um, so, uh, I'm, I feel like I've been a little bit successful in following that. Mm. And, um, I have a friend who likes to say, I may not be much, but I'm all I think about, you know, and <laughs> so, that's uh, a good one. <laughs> uh, one of these days, I feel like I'm going to branch out of my own experience and maybe tackle someone else's experience <laughs> as a project, you know, Yeah. but, but for now, I think I'm running this well dry. And, uh, you know, uh, we'll see, we'll see where it takes me. <laughs> well, it's a, it's a sign of a life well lived or at least with enough experiences or, or interesting people that you just kind of keep going back to that. So I find that fascinating, especially yeah. growing up in a working class 
family or culture. Is that kind of how it was for you? Like you, you just had, you know, people in your life who were like that as well, or was that just your personal yeah, experience? Yeah, very working class environment, very working class city. Uh, you know, so, um, you know, I, I, I teach at Salem State University now, and I feel like it's a very working class university. So I, I don't feel like I've, I've, uh, strayed too far from uh, my roots in in that way you know um and you know uh we have uh, you know people that that come from that have a uh, certain distinct view of the world that i think that um uh informs how they write and how they attempt to write and you know for me it's it's always been about that kind of honest looking back you know mm -hmm. and uh for better or worse right so you know um and i i feel like i you know it's funny i since i moved away from revere uh the further away i've gotten from revere the more it's influenced my writing it's like <laughs> it's, it's like the city that won't let me go you know um you know i recently wrote a crime novel that's that was set in 1980s in that city and I've written a lot of poetry about that city and the people in it. So uh, I think once you're homegrown, you, you you can't get away no matter how much you try, you know? Yeah, it's that old ghost that keeps coming back to you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was I was I'm very excited to talk to you about your your teaching that you're doing, but you're you you sort of have your toes in a lot of different wonderful creative forms. You you do plays, which I'm excited to talk to you about because you're a playwright as well. But specifically yeah. about your novel though. Uh, somebody left a really awesome review on it. They they said that uh, you got you got the 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 language of it. I, I think somebody had mentioned. I'm trying to find that quote here where somebody somebody had said that you got the street real pro street real language. And I really am curious what that means. What how would you define that street real in from that town? Well. Um... I don't, you know, I just, I just think about the way we, myself and other people, just the way people spoke to each other. You know, you know, as a playwright yourself, right, that you're, you're always, you got that ear for dialogue. Um, you just listen to what people say or how they turn a phrase. And uh, um, so I, I think I felt comfortable setting this novel there where I had listened to a lot of people <laughs> talk to each other for many years. And um, I felt like I had a, a, a decent pool of experience to tap into uh, to kind of try and get that dialogue the way I felt like it should sound. And um, but that's always the trick, right, is is to get it working in the story, but to get it to sound realistic. Mm -hmm. Right. And, you know, uh, and, you know, same thing with writing for the stage. It can be stylized, but it should be real. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I, uh, I I love writing dialogue, and it's 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 one of the joys of writing for me to just try and get that rhythm and get people speaking to each other in a way that's believable, and at the same time carries a story. You know. So uh, yeah, I got to tell you, writing dialogue is probably my favorite thing in the whole whole world, and my crutch. I've been told time and again that. I can't write technical writing to save my life, but I write like a conversation. Everything is a conversation, right? And yeah. so that is the big crutch. Like I try to do 
fiction or or prose poetry and all of it comes out like a conversation but for you in in this novel in particular how did this coalesce into a story how long did this process take you and can you tell me a bit about how you put the story together well you know there was just i don't know if it was folklore or fact or uh but there, there is this marsh that runs through the city and uh when i was a kid there was a fair amount of uh mob activity in this in the city and mm. there used to be stories about bodies showing up on the marsh wow and uh so th that was kind of like just in the back of my mind and i started to create a story about this uh murderer who's shot in the marsh and the body slips in and disappears and it and it kind of ignites this series of uh other mysteries related to that missing body and um uh you know I, it just i used to drive by that marsh and think of maybe there was a body in it or <laughs> maybe there wasn't you know so it always had that kind of haunting feel to me and uh Actually, when I started out to write this, I was thinking it would be more of a horror novel, and uh, and then it just evolved into this ex-detective trying to clear himself in this um, mm -hmm. more noirish kind of rainy season dark uh, mystery novel. And um, I had it for quite a few years. I had a couple of agents for it, and they were shopping it around, and uh, and I kept rewriting it and another iteration of it and then uh and i finally took it back and started to shop it myself and sold it to a uh uh uk publisher called mm. docsville books and um it, it was just nice to have it off the plate after having having it for <laughs> six or seven years you know wow. and um uh and I'm excited about it. It's it's uh, it's opened up the cleaned the slate a little bit. I can move on to the next one, and you know you know how it is to have those nagging projects that you, you can't oh, yeah. do anything with, you know. <laughs> and so uh, I'm I'm always happy when I get one uh, published, uh, get one off off the plate, so I can move on. And uh, but it but it was a fun novel to write. You know I uh, there's not a lot of fact in it. But there's probably some truth if people that grew up in the city read it. They might <laughs> they might recognize themselves in another character, maybe, you know. So um there is that amount of truth to it. And that's the beauty of it, where you're able to use the existing world that you know to create a brand new reality, a brand new mm. world on top of that real world to invite people in. Were you a fan of crime or noir work? when you were growing up yeah I've, I've been a i've been a crime fiction reader for years you know um uh just uh i've just been gobbling up a series of audio books by james lee burke and uh i love this irish writer ton of french and uh uh you know some of the standards elmore leonard and uh george higgins you know people that kind of write about these um uh, urban environments mm -hmm. where uh with it's clear good guys and bad guys right and uh and sometimes they they blend into each other you know so yeah. but you know back to the dialogue i just love the dialogue of, of of those writers and uh i feel like if you can nail it uh realistically in the dialogue then the characters jump off the page you know so um yeah it's uh i think good crime fiction does that really well what was a novel that 
inspired you? If you could specifically name one, just so we can look for a sample or something that maybe an, an early writer might be interested in pursuing that really caught your eye, that you felt, oh, wow, this kind of defines something for me, or this establishes the form for me, or did, did you ever have those? Specifically? Well, I mean, just just as a uh, just as a writing professor i mean i my my like go-to writer of all time is still james baldwin and for his fiction i mean we could talk forever about his nonfiction and the impact of that but um you know i i think my favorite novel is if if beale street could talk mm. and um and again it's because it's so real uh the the writing is is simple and complicated at the same time it's you know the the prose is beautiful and uh truthful mm. and uh you know i look at a baldwin paragraph and i say this is how it should be it, it <laughs> should be this simple language that speaks so wonderfully about the experience and um uh so i mean baldwin's always a go-to guy for me um you know crime writers uh like i said uh George Higgins, um, Elmore Leonard are people that I gravitate towards a lot because I can hear the language uh, realistically in in those novels. Um, I I've been a reader of a lot of different things in my life. You know, uh, obviously poetry and fiction and drama and uh, all of it to me is about storytelling even in my poems i'm trying to tell a story so uh you know pick, pick a writer that tells a good story and and just kind of feel them out and see how they do it and see see what what their plot is like see what their uh you know situational dialogue is like and 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 just feel that and try and replicate that in in your own writing and i think you you'll be on the right track oh that's excellent now, speaking about plays, when did you start writing plays? When did you discover the theater? Mm. I got a pretty late start on a lot of this in my life. Um, but uh, I wrote a, uh, I used to go to Cambridge to uh, write in a coffee shop called Algiers. And uh, it was a great place. It's not there anymore. It's sad. Um, but, uh, and I just started to write this conversation between this lawyer and this guy that was getting divorced. And, uh, and it turned into a 10 minute play <clears throat> called Algiers. And, um, uh, I got the play produced in a festival and got to see it. And, um, the way the festival worked is they would assign you a director if they chose your play and then the director would cast it and you got invited to, to sit in on a rehearsal. And uh, just the whole experience was so much fun <laughs> that I said, oh, I, I can't wait to do this again. Cause I mean, you you know with a piece of writing, it can sometimes, even if it gets published, it can kind of just wither away and die <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. after a certain amount of time. And the, there's something wonderful about getting to see that writing in action, right? That it really kind of inspired me. So that was only, I don't know, maybe 15 years ago, somewhere around there, um, when, I, when I started to have a real interest in playwriting. And then I, you know, I had another one of those staged, and then I wrote a, a full-length play that was uh, 
stage a couple of years ago. Again, it was a murder mystery, but more of a comedy. And the same experience. It was the best experience I've ever had with a piece of writing in my life, just being on the ground floor of that production and helping to get the set right and rewriting <laughs> and working with actors. And the yeah. whole thing just takes on a whole new life after the written word, right? Right. And um, so uh, I'm, I'm excited. And I, and I have another one in the, in the works now, fingers crossed, uh, that I'm hoping I can get to the stage. And so, again, it's, it's that dialogue that drives it, right? It's that yeah. storytelling through conversation. And um, I think I I think that's what I like most about writing. Even in poetry, I love that you talked about um, conversational poems. That yeah, I love them when there's a line of dialogue to begin a poem or, or thrown in a poem. I I think the impact of that can be great. Absolutely, that's the hook. It becomes, at least for me personally, that is the one thing or the only way that I can kind of vocalize something. It just comes out like a conversation. But how was your? How did you feel? going from a production of a play to back to your desk, working on your own and adjusting. Can you explain that adjustment period for some who don't know, uh, going from such a collaborative process as this, you know, playwriting and being in the theater to back at your desk for the next thing? Well, you know, you said it earlier on that I have a, I have my, uh, I have my interest in a few different places, which can, which can be a blessing and a curse sometimes. Sometimes nothing gets done because everything, <laughs> you're jumping from one thing to the other and it's really incremental. But, you know, um, I do think I, I have an advantage with, with varied interests because I can leave a, uh, something that's been a really profound uh, experience for me, like a, a play that was staged, and know that I have these other pockets of things floating around. I can... I can start to work on a collection of poetry, or I can finish that short story, or I can think about a novel. And, you know, so I think I'm lucky to be able to jump into those <clears throat> other parts when my well could run dry, you know? Yeah. So, um, so I do that. I, I don't think I, I, I go right from a play into another play. I think I go into another genre, you mm. know? And, uh, yeah. And, and just uh, because I've already got things percolating uh, and it, it keeps me busy, but it can drive you a little nuts too. Like, you know, <laughs> where to go, what to work on next. Yeah. And, yeah. It know. definitely, I, I'm curious as a, as a multi hyphenate myself doing a variety of different things, I'm curious how you <clears> assemble <throat> things, how, how you get your projects off the ground, say in fiction versus poetry versus writing is is the process fairly similar across all of these or do you have to tackle things differently when you switch hats well i you know i i think sometimes it's what i'm doing outside of the writing that helps you know uh for years i've been going to this poetry workshop in mendham new jersey with a poet named maria maziotti gillen and uh and uh, Laura Boss, and Laura Boss has passed away a while ago, so uh, Maria has asked me to do the workshop with her now. But twice a year I go and you write poems all weekend, and I, and I come home with these poems that are not finished, but, you know, 
five or six of them that I want to keep working on. So those two times a year, I seem to kind of come home with this poet-centered mind as a writer mm. to kind of develop these poems that I've worked on during this workshop. So it, those those months around that workshop are kind of carved out for poetry. <laughs> you know, it just seems to happen that way. Yeah. Right? So I, I'm, I'm able to, to pile up some poems that I'm fairly happy with in May and in December. And uh, so I, I feel like those months have been kind of dedicated to that the last few years. Mm. And it's and it's worked out well for me. And then, you know, because I teach and the summer rolls around, it seems like the summer is a good time for me to jump on a longer project. Maybe I have a novel in mind or a play in mind. And, uh, and I have, you know, several weeks in a row where I can kind of find the time to really jump in and invest yeah and even and even though i do a lot of things once i'm invested in that one thing i'm pretty good at staying on it until i get to some draft end of it right yeah. so um so it's so it's really helped me to have these other things that spark when and where to work on what if that makes sense no that makes perfect yeah. sense and not yeah. to put words in your mouth but it does seem like there's seasons of creativity seasons of of mediums almost yeah and i think like yeah. it acts as a magnet where you have to be around the kind of people that will give you the right kind of energy for that form to really get some momentum going and and things like that yeah and you know that's so true i think it's who you're hanging out with and you know i hang out with a lot of writers between my job at the university and 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 just in my social life and you know so we're always kicking ideas around or talking about something or you know sparking each other's interest in their own projects and you know yeah. I, I think there's a there's a wide writing community out there and uh there's there's different facets for different genres i think that, for that sure. help people growing yeah. yeah and i can't wait to talk to you about community but i gotta ask you one more question about about your teaching has teaching always been a part of your adult career or have you done other things outside of teaching? No, I, I've only been, well, I've been, I'm 65 and I've been teaching for 20 years. Oh goodness. Yeah. Yeah. So I had a lot of other jobs before I was teaching, uh, you know, some jobs that were okay that I enjoyed some jobs I hated. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, um, but I, I, I think I, uh, I went back to school when I had a couple little kids. I got a master's degree, mm. but I really wanted an MFA. So I went on and got an MFA and then I began teaching after that. Mm. And I, I was an adjunct professor for many years. Sometimes I'd full time, sometimes I'd adjunct. And then I finally got on a tenure track job. And, um, but it, it was, uh, it, I don't feel like I have teacher burnout. I haven't been doing it long enough, <laughs> you know? And, yeah. uh, and and I really love my job. It, it's um, I run the creative writing program now, and uh, it, it's just you know I, I get to invite writers in and pick them up at the airport, and talk about writing, and, <laughs> and just you know bring them to the school and have them share time with the students. And uh, it's just a pretty great job, you know. I yeah. it, this is the best gig I ever had, you know, for sure. And I think teaching informs my writing and. And my writing informs my teaching, and uh, you know it is it is a time demand. But you know, like I said, I I have the summer off. That's that's a pretty good job, yeah. you know. <laughs> that's a good trade off. <laughs> uh, yeah. So you know, uh, I mean, I work hard when I'm working, but it, I do have time to kind of recharge. And uh, you know, I 
I had this thought one time that maybe I'd be better off if I had just like a night job where I, <laughs> I, I, you know, doing something manual where I didn't bring my work home with me. Right. Yeah. And because it, it does take up a lot of headspace, but the flip side of that is I'm always talking about writing to students and, and about good books and about, you know, conversations around literature and writing constantly. And that I think outweighs the fact that I have a lot to do during the school year. That yeah. that 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 fuels my own writing, those mm-hmm. conversations. So yeah. uh, I think I'm in the perfect job for me. Oh, that's great to hear. Because I do think about that often. I wanted to get my MFA for a long time. I just have my bachelor's uh, theater writing and directing, but I find that a lot of my bandwidth has been consumed with this idea that I, I need, needed to find a job, at least when I was first starting out, like maybe in my twenties or or early thirties, I really felt like I got to get that job. I got to get that job. That's just going to let me breathe. That's just going to have that, that writing opportunity almost. That's going to have a little bit of extra bandwidth at the end of the day. Do you remember a job that just completely destroyed your brain? (laughs) <laughs> that before you were teaching that you felt like, how am I going to do this? Am I going to be able to keep writing? Am I going to be able to excel at this at some point? Well, you know, I, I think I did a good job of destroying my own brain on my own at certain <laughs> times in my life. <laughs> I don't want to necessarily blame the job, but, um, you know, I, I, I didn't know I wanted to be a writer when I was as young as you knew you wanted to be a writer. Mm. You know, I, I, I knew I liked it. I knew I, I, I dabbled in it, but I didn't take it seriously. Uh, I think until I, I was older, I, I was late thirties, uh, almost 40 years old. And I, and I wanted to take some creative writing courses cause I had this desire to write. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I just, I took a bunch of courses and someone at the college said, Hey, you, you have about 15 credits. You might as well get a master's degree. <laughs> and uh, and so I did, but I really wanted an MFA because I I just knew I did. I just wanted to write more. So I did a low residency MFA program, which fit in with my life because I had two young kids and I was working in a film and video production business with a friend of mine. Mm. And uh, so I, I had flexible hours, but uh, somewhat flexible. And um, so it just, that's where it took off for me when I got in that MFA program. I, I had a lot of writing I had been doing, and it, it, I just found avenues to share writing with professors in that program. They helped me out. And, uh, and then it really, you know, I went in as a fiction writer in this MFA program, and then I came out and all I was publishing was narrative poetry, you know? Mm-hmm. So, um, uh, it kind it kind of takes takes you where you should go, right? If you let it, and um, so I had all these narrative poems to get out of my system before I could work my way back to the fiction, mm. you know. And, uh, so my journey's a little bit scattered and started late in life, but I feel like I've been catching up over these years. And uh, I love that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I have to talk to you about film and video production because. I, I feel like I'm seeing, I'm seeing some, some parallels here between your, your journey and mine where I did, I did video production for, for about six years. I've had a a camera, you know, strapped to my 
head since I was very young. Yeah, yeah and uh, <laughs> can you tell me how that experience has has affected you? Owning your own business, working gigs, that production lifestyle. How how was that for you? Well, I met a friend of mine named Jack Heiberger, who's a painter and model head, and he had this industrial video business. And I had made a short film with another friend of mine, Tim Young, and I was looking for a place to edit it. And he had an editing suite. And uh, so we met that way, and then we became friends, and uh, we we did this industrial video business together, you know, making commercials and for mm -hmm. people. And... Uh, um, and uh, it was fun. It was fun because I liked doing it. I wasn't frying clams on the beach anymore or <laughs> bartending or, you know, doing things that I also liked at the time. But this was different. It was more creative. And I, and I felt like I was using that creativity. And every once in a while, we would make a short film of our own. And, uh, you know, some of them were terrible. Some of them were fun. Some of them were okay. Um, but I always, uh, I always enjoyed the process. You yeah. know, there was something about filmmaking and particularly editing that I really enjoy. And it's editing is storytelling, right? You know, you're just, you're just putting the pieces together in a way that tells the story you want to tell. And so mm -hmm. I feel like it's very similar to writing or editing writing. And then um, after my MFA program, I actually made a documentary film uh, I had made a couple before that, but I made a couple of documentary films about poets. And one is about this Maria Maziotti Gillen, who I did with a photographer friend of mine, Mark Hillinghouse, from the MFA program. And then years later, a former professor of mine, Rod Kessler, uh, I made a movie about this poet, Malcolm Miller, who was a kind of street poet in Salem. Mm -hmm. And uh, those were great projects. You know, I took a couple of years on the weekends and you know, just interviewing and gathering footage and trying to tell that story over time. But the whole filmmaking process to me is just, it's its kind of like, you know, it, I felt the same way I did with those stage plays, like this collaborative mm -hmm. process, mm -hmm. right? So many people involved and so many people helping out and just to bring all those people together and and create something is different than sitting up in my room by myself and writing something, right? <laughs> well, yeah. It's a completely different experience. So and, did uh, you did you feel like that part of your life had run its course? Or is it still an active part of your life to work in well, that it's, medium? It's, it's active in my head for sure. You know, uh, um, my son's an editor and uh, former art school kid. And... Um, you know, I always talk to him about my dream is to kind of pack up a crew and like rent a house in the woods or something and just like shoot. You know how they used to shoot the old Westerns? They pack uh -huh. up a crew and go out in the desert for a weekend. That's right. right? <laughs> and uh, just to, that's something I still want to do. I don't have the idea, the film idea in mind, but that experience is something that I still want to do. Just you know, pack up food for a weekend, just get out there, get remote and shoot the heck out of something. Oh, beautiful. And then come home and edit it. So uh, I'll, I'll let you know when I think of the idea. Oh, <laughs> but, yeah. Uh, yeah. But, Anytime. But I still, I still really <laughs> want to do that. I just want to do that for the experience, you know, of, of just kind of bringing a film crew out to somewhere for three or four days and, and, and just getting the film shot. I think that would be a 
so much fun. That sounds like heaven. I have to say yeah. that does sound like a, yeah. a beautiful experience in the making. Now, speaking of your son, you folks did a visual collaboration that was pretty epic. Can you tell me, can you share a bit of the excitement that I imagine what you felt collaborating with your son? How was that working relationship? And, and Oh, I, that short film. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it was great. You know, he's an electronic musician and he's been scoring films and uh, uh, video projects, for, you know, for people for a few years. And so um, uh, I had this group of shots and, you know, I had this kind of motion in mind that just things that were all in motion and kind of creating an editing pattern out of that. And uh, And then I asked them to score it for me. <laughs> and uh it, it just brought it to life you know yeah. it just it just felt so uh so alive and then we were uh interestingly enough uh it it played in a film festival in in india and uh so which i would have loved to have gone to but couldn't afford to uh yeah that seems a ways that, over <laughs> for a short film but um no it was great and i and i'd certainly love to do it again with uh with him on a larger scale um he's a mm. he's a talented kid yeah what's the uh i i guess i'm curious because being a father myself it's just i can imagine that's a a source of pride for you to see your son flourish creatively yeah it is you know you know how the creative world is out there it's feast of famine right and uh you know so um He's uh, recently got a job editing for the folks that do the Academy Awards. They send him podcasts and interviews and stuff to do. So oh, nice. Um, it's it's nice that he has a uh, steady job with it now because it's, you know, the creative field is 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 tough. You know, um, you know, I I did that work. You know, when we were doing the industrial video, it was kind of like, yeah, you have a job <laughs> in house or you're hunting for one, right? Oh, yeah. Oh so, yeah. Um, uh and uh it's it's just yeah i i'm proud of both my kids i have a daughter who's a, also a painter and um mm. she's uh you know works uh works in the design field now and you know so it's nice to see them grow up and, and be their own creative people it's nice know? to be inspired by them right yeah yeah oh absolutely through the years i owe them a lot of inspiration them and my wife and my friends you know uh i mean this you know writing's a lonely business you know and uh without the community attached to it i don't know it, it may it may not be as as wonderful as it is for me you know mm -hmm. uh, but <laughs> i remember the first time i published a poem um i got asked to read at this bookstore in portsmouth new hampshire and it was a poem about a guy i worked with on the beach who had died and uh <clears throat> So I went up and I read the poem and there was a handful of people in the bookstore. It wasn't a sellout crowd by any means, but, um, but this guy came by afterwards, <clears throat> excuse me, and started talking about his brother who had died. And we had this conversation for about 20 minutes. And mm. I, I remember driving home thinking how cool that was that, that I wrote something that affected somebody else. And, and then we got to know each other through that piece of writing. And I said, I want to do this again, like this whole experience. I want to, I want this to happen again. 
and and I was really inspired by it. And I think of that old Richie Havens quote, like I'm not in the music business, I'm in the communication business, mm. right? And that's how I felt about it driving home that I was able to communicate with someone. And I've held on to that my writing life that this is really about communication, you know, yeah. more than anything else. And um, and it does extend to every other form as well, because at that point you're transcending form or genre or any kind of restriction of that kind. You're looking to find the best form or medium to communicate the idea or the message or whatever intent that is. So with yeah. that said, yeah. yeah. Can I ask you about Molecule, the tiny lip mag, and what, oh, yeah, yeah. what yeah, that please entails? Please submit something. <laughs> uh, MP Cabra, a colleague of mine at Salem State, and I, she came up with the idea. And it's uh, it's an online lit journal. We're thinking about going to print eventually. Um, and we publish 50 words or less. Hmm. And that includes interviews, plays, <laughs> poetry. I mean, can you imagine? Oh, uh, right? it's beautiful. It's beautiful. Some some of these interviews are fantastic. They're a question and an answer, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, but uh, it's just, you know, because it includes titles and everything. No more than fifty. Oh wow! And, uh, you know, and uh, some of the drama is just fantastic. You get a couple lines of dialogue, and you go, "Whoa, you can do that in fifty words." Mm -hmm. And uh, I mean, poetry seems the obvious choice, but. Some of the other things are even more fascinating to me that people can tell a story in 50 words and do it effectively. So um, we're open for submissions right now. If you go to <laughs> moleculetinylitmag.org, you'll find the guidelines. And uh, we, we publish um, twice a year, and uh, it's been a lot of fun. Um, and some of the submissions are really wonderful and some are really funny and uh it, it's it's just been a trip and as and as editors it's not as taxing as other lit mags to read 50 <laughs> words <laughs> we can get through the pile in pretty short yeah time. that sounds like a perk uh, but i love that form i love that immediacy and how something just of that size can make such an impact. And that actually reminds me of a quote that you had on your website that I wanted to ask you about. Pete Seeger line or quote that says, I think the world is going to be saved by millions of small things. Can you tell me yeah. why that quote in particular is on your website? Well, I think MP chose that quote, so I'm going to give her the credit. Um, <laughs> But, you know, I think it is speaks to the impact of these little things in your life, right? You know, I mean, just think of a small, kind thing that somebody did for you one time. And, you know, uh, uh, I just think of that, you know, that little thing that that guy might have said to me at that reading for that first poem that, that made me say, wow, you know, if that guy walks by, I don't have the same experience, but a kind word or just an acknowledgement. Mm. that you know here i am putting myself out there on the page for everybody to see and somebody says something encouraging you know so what I, I think there's that idea that you know everybody wants to be a big movie star but you know there's people sweeping floors around the world that are changing the world too you know mm. uh, just kind of with their acts of kindness or, or just the small impact that you can have that 
reaps a lot of benefit for people. Yeah. Now I'm yeah, curious. So I think that's behind what Seeger was talking about, you know? Yeah. 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 Absolutely. I have a couple more questions to be respectful of your time, but I'm mm -hmm. curious over your time teaching and living through life in a variety of different seasons, what are some things that you know to be tried and true about writing from your perspective? They don't have to be absolutes, but just things that have worked for you. Well, I mean, I mean, I think it's work. You know, I think you have to put the work in. Uh, I always say that the the hardest part for me is generating that draft, even if it's a draft of a poem or or a, a draft of something longer. That's the work part for me. That feels like I got to get this out. I have to get it on the page. I have to. I have to give myself something to work with, right? And that, you know, that is putting the pen to the page on days that you don't really feel like doing it, <laughs> you know? So, uh, you know, um, you know, Jason Tatum, I'm sure, doesn't like to shoot basketballs every day, you know? But, um, <laughs> you know, uh, if, if he does, he's going to be better when it comes to game time. So, you know, I, I think it's the same thing with a, a writer. It's like, it, you know, there there are days when writing is work, and if you accept that, you, you, you get through those days. But once I have that draft, then, then it's fun for me. It's fun to fine-tune that thing. You know, back to the movie editing example, right? Yeah. It's like just editing a project on is so much fun for me when I have that bulk all laid out. But getting that getting that bulk in there is a lot of work, <laughs> right? Getting those shots, uh, you yeah. know, running around like you said with that camera on your on your shoulder, right? Is yeah. can 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 be a lot of work. So I think you know you have to realize there's a balance between work and joy, right? Mm -hmm. And um, once you accept that, that not every day is going to be, I'm so joyful to be writing. And this is just for me. Other other people may be joyful every time they write. Uh, I don't I don't think it's always that way for me. But mm. I think in the end, when I'm editing that piece, that's when I feel, that's when I'm really happy to be doing it. Oh, excellent. So I'm yeah. curious, how how big of a, how important, I guess I should say, are the Celtics in your neck of the woods? <laughs> <laughs> well, you can't go very far without seeing some evidence of it. And uh, even after game four, we're still hopeful. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I grew up a Celtics fan, going to games with my dad. And, you know, Celtics won their first championship the year I was born. Oh. So, uh, you know, it's something inbred. And uh, I, I, I played basketball as a young kid. Mm. Uh, and uh, I was a basketball coach for 19 years, a seventh grade oh. boys coach. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. So, oh, that um, must have been yeah, a ride. Uh, yeah, basketball's been in my blood for many years. And uh, so... That this has been a uh, wonderful, nerve-wracking time during these playoffs, <laughs> <laughs> but we're we're expecting good things from Game Five. So uh... <laughs> I'll be sending you positive thoughts, <laughs> and I'm also I'm also hoping that you do a, a basketball poetry collection if you haven't done one already. That would be well, very you know, interesting I'd like to because I've written a few basketball poems 
and poems about the Celtics and uh, poems about playing basketball. And I think if I worked hard at it, I could pile up a few more and maybe, uh, maybe there'd be one out there. Cause it's a great game. I mean, it's like poetry when it's played well, mm-hmm. you know, five guys touching the ball, just motion and dancing and speed. And, yeah. you know, it's, yeah. it's all there really on a good fast break. Right. It's a poem. Oh man. You know? I would love to, <laughs> I would love to see that on paper, just that yeah. metaphor really coming to life as a, as a text. I, I think that you're onto something there. It's going to be well, pretty I think awesome. you should write one and I should write one and we should share. Them, <laughs> Mine would be on <laughs> soccer, unfortunately, because that's about the only sport that I, that I've really heavily invested in, <laughs> but you know, maybe there, there is some uh, symbiotic yeah, kind of work there. there right? Yeah. You, yeah. You still got to, you still got to pass the ball at the right time. And That's right. And, uh, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right. Well, last question for you. I'm curious what you think about the place the arts has in our community and why we need it right now, uh, specifically for the working people, the sweepers, the people that, that you knew growing up that are still there, that are out in the world, keeping our country going and our world going why do those people need the writing that we put together and the things that we share well you know i i think they need writing as readers and i think they need writing for themselves too right i'm going to channel uh maria maziotti gillen here because she always says this that you know uh especially when it comes to the world of poetry it shouldn't be this thing that's out of reach for anybody right it shouldn't be this academic thing that only scholars and people in higher education get to invest in. It's for everybody. And everybody's story is worthy of being told, right? Everyone has their own story that I can relate to, and I have stories that they can relate to. And there's this it just should be made accessible to everybody to write your own story, to write about your own fears and your own love and your own, you know, uh, it just the, the way you've endured or gone through something or triumph. And, you know, it, we all have these stories to tell. And I think we need to ask people to tell them no matter what they do and where they grow up and who they are, right? Just make that accessible because just like that one guy responded to a line in the poem of mine, that first published poem, everybody can do that to each other. We, it, it could bring a lot of people together to say we have shared common experiences, right? So I love these programs that bring poetry all over the place and, mm-hmm. and invite people in that don't normally get invited to write poetry. You know, and uh, want to write stories. So just put a pen in everybody's hand and pass out notebooks, you know, and, and just give them a forum to share with each other mm-hmm. because it can change your life, really. Change mine. That's amazing. And a wonderful note yeah. to end on, I think. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Kevin, well, it's thank been. Thank you so much for yeah. asking me to do this. It's been a pleasure. Absolutely. Pleasure's all mine. And I'm just so grateful for your time and your insights. I want to thank you for the work that you're doing, bringing the craft to working students and working people. 
in your neck of the woods. And of course, I hope that we get to catch up on Twitter. Much like everyone else, Twitter's becoming my favorite place because there's kindness there. Surprisingly, I'm very surprised about that. <laughs> but yeah, well, yeah, yeah. I we need we need more than more of that. Be kind to each other, right? That's right. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Kevin. And uh, I'm going to make sure that all of your content is listed in the episode description. So folks are going to get a chance to look at all your stuff. And I highly recommend that folks go and check that out. Check out the website. What's the website, Kevin? Uh, KevinCarryWriter.com. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I'll leave you be, Kevin. I hope you have a wonderful Sunday. And it's been a real pleasure. I yeah, hope we get my to talk pleasure. soon. Peace. Bye. Bye. Hey there. Before I go, I just wanted to thank you for listening to the podcast. If you're enjoying Arts Calling, please consider rating and reviewing the podcast wherever you listen to these episodes. Every little bit helps to bring awareness about these wonderful artists that we're featuring on this podcast. And don't forget to say hi. I'm over on Twitter at CruiseFolio, and I would love to hear from you, love to know what you're working on, and I wish you the best in life and craft. Make art, make haste, and much love. Thank you.